Blog Talk Radio. Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world, and we're happy to say we are translating to many different languages for speakers outside of our country, even Finland, even, well, South America. Uh, The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the paranormal and the sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. During the show, I can take questions in order in chat, or you may call in with your questions and speak with our awesome guest tonight. Any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be similarly kicked out, and I'll have a copy of your phone number and call you back and bug you. So don't bug me. I won't bug you. And play nice and be polite, and we'll all get along together. Kumbaya. Anyway, there's a few announcements before we get our special speaker tonight coming on. Experiencer Speakers, uh, Experiencer Speak, uh, speaking event is coming up in August 28th, 29th in Maine. Uh, so I'm just giving you a heads up that there's many, many fabulous speakers going to be out to the East Coast. And it really takes till August to warm up in Maine. So I'm glad they moved it to a later date. If I ever make it over there, I don't want to freeze to death. But anyway, all my uh, Starseed peeps and other speakers uh, are fabulous. And uh, just keep it in mind, and if you can afford to start saving for your ticket now to get out to Maine. Anyway, and then we know coming up May 29th through 31st in Joshua Tree, California, it's Contact in the Desert, the planet's premier UFO convention. And uh, join us for a weekend of exploration to the extraterrestrial life, ancient aliens, human origins, crop circles, UFO sightings, anti-gravity machines, contact experiences, and need-to-know featuring so many people, it's just ridiculous. Laura Eisenhower, Jim Mars. Let's see, Nick Pope. Uh, we've got Giorgio there. George Nori. Uh, just just everybody. And uh, Stanton Freeman and uh, many fabulous people are there that I really uh, believe in. And so get your tickets soon. And there's a thing going on on www.zerointernational.com where you can win a ticket if you if you join in. It's like a lot of things. So go over there to that that uh, place, and uh, that's where experiencers. Uh, they have a lot of events, but I could not find the current event that's going on over there. So uh, since I find out, I'll tell you probably by next week. And then what else do we have? Uh, Coming up June 12th through 14th in Sherman Oaks, my good 
friend um, is putting on the Archetypal Nature Workshop, and it's happening in Sherman Oaks, and tickets are available. Well, to find more information than I've got here, go to www.archetypalnature.com and find out. And uh, it's all the Jungian uh, uh, symbology and all that, which I really, really love. And I'm going to tell you about next week. Oh, my God, May 1st. Ed and Marsha Becker are going to be our guests. And Ed and Marsha Becker lived in a home that was extremely haunted. And they were the first, they were the subject of the first televised exorcism. They're also personal friends of mine. And I love them very much. And I think you're really going to enjoy them. So tune in next week. And uh, Ed's an author and has written a few books. And he has a new one uh, coming out about the whole uh, adventure. And tonight, let me see if he's called in yet. I think he maybe have called in. I think he Skyped in. So hold on a moment. Let me check and see if this is it. Hi, is this Jerry? Hi, yeah, this is Jerry. Well, hi, Jerry. It's all it's just a bunch of ones. So, uh, Jerry Avalos, I'm, I'm, you're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred, and I'm going to introduce you right now. I just wanted to get you on live so you can hear us. So we've got, him in the house right now, everybody, Jerry, and my special guest is a lead researcher and developer of Intrinsic Energies and Innovations Incorporated and Quanta Field Technologies, applying his understanding of how intuition and quantum mechanics meet by creating nano and scalar, I don't know, S-C-A-L-A-R, technology. And Jerry was born a natural, intuitive, lucid dreamer, experiencing the full gamut of what people call paranormal, metaphysical, and spiritual experiences all his life, and we're really interested in all this. And then it also includes being an unknowing test subject in intuitive projects in the shadow government known as military abductions or my labs. And my group, Ciro, is very interested in that, and I think there's several of us uh, that have been exposed, Jerry, and also I, I think I am too. So anyway, through his insight, he garnered from his Nightly astral travel and daily in- intuits, Jerry has developed and honed various techniques for expansion of consciousness. These experiences have also given Jerry a tremendous insight into principles of quantum mechanics, such as entanglement, which directly translate to the products he's currently developing. So, welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you for having me. This is uh, I haven't been on yeah, the radio. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so I'm so grateful because. Um, Jackie was supposed to be on tonight, but she's going on May 22nd. But uh, she had a family emergency come up, and she couldn't uh, do tonight's show. So we're really grateful to have you aboard because we're getting uh, yet another uh, point of view on all these uh, interesting uh, phenomena. And uh, I'd like to just start out. uh, Can you tell us a little bit about where you were born and uh, how you were raised and everything so we can get some of your background? Sure, no problem. Um, I'm a native Californian, Southern California. I grew up pretty much just down the street from Disney. And um, about rights and purposes, you know, lived the, the quintessential middle-class life here in Southern California. And as I'm sure many of your listeners know, that seem very informed about some of these projects, many will know that a lot of government contractors and bases are down here too. Um, on top of all the media stuff, so... I, you know, I grew up with you know a lot of friends and family working for all kinds of contractors as well. But all rights and purposes, 
my normal day to day was you know pretty much normalish. You know what I mean, but um, and what there was a disassociation that would happen though when I would go to sleep because um, being I was born a natural intuitive lucid dreamer. Um, so for me, there really wasn't a divide between this waking state and the other state in a lot of ways. I just sort of changed where I was, you know, experiencing being. And um, I just kind of thought that's how it was. So as I was growing up, I would experience a lot of different, um, a lot of different things. Like how, as the introduction kind of mentioned, everything from interdimensional interactions, extraterrestrial visitations. And then there were these things that I thought were games. I thought I was playing, um, you know, a type of game or athletic program or something. Um, but then as I got older, I found out they coincided very much with some of these um, secret, you know, science experiments and programs for military applications. Um, and so this really didn't become, it really started becoming apparent to me in the early 2000s that something like this might have been happening. And so Throughout that time, I had been, you know, kind of going to school, you know, using, doing that normal story, so to speak. Went to school for science for a while, switched to arts, and then I started working for myself as a contractor for, um, you know, graphic design and another uh, consultation. But during it, which actually gave me the freedom to research a lot of things too. And this is where I started finding the tangible leads, you know, starting as I'm sure many are familiar with, like Project Paperclip and things like that, and seeing the tangibility yeah. of some of these um, psychological um, application, military applications. And um, and then from there, more recall started happening. And, and in that sense, it started making more sense about that why I was always intrinsically drawn to create things, like just make stuff. And, um, and, and in that sense, it was unconventional because it wasn't, I would, I would study conventional science and such, but I would just use that as one input and then I would come from different angles and they didn't start making more sense until we got later in time. Like now when I realized what I was doing as precursor to, you know, quantum technology and nanotech basically. Right. So are you an engineer? Um, are you trained as an engineer? I guess my, my background when I, when I first went into um, university, I went as a computer engineer um, I was yeah. there for two years at, at Cal State Long Beach, really just working on general education. Um, and then after that, I switched to creative arts because on, like, on my own, I would be studying and just tinkering and making things, um, you know, learning how to solder and weld and, and understanding electrical circuits on my own. Uh, just, the school tended to be a little slow for me. So I then do a lot of my own, uh, own uh, studies. And so at one point I realized that, um, I was able to do what I really wanted to. I'm not, uh, the credentials were only going to help me so much. Really, when that really kind of came to that point around 2003, around that time when I was working for, um, it's a pretty neat company. I don't mind putting it. Monsters in Motion. They do movie collectibles. So it's like toys. I've made a lot of toys and models is basically what I was doing. So in that time, I learned a lot about fabrication, you know, general product engineering and, and structural engineering materials, um, mass production, prototyping, as well as, as practical electronics, you know, for, like, lights and switches and noises and such. Um, and then when you bridge that into just classical engineering of, say, you know, um, you know I mean, anything, like a computer for that matter, there's really not that much difference. It's just the, the components might change. And um, and then being having a background in um, 
in some some background in, in programming, computer programming, especially related to web interfaces. Yeah, I'm I'm able to kind of unpack what I need to on that. So I, I'm kind of a jack of all trades in that sense, and just my own interest in that is really kind of what um, sharpened my skills as an engineer, especially working out of that that company. I think it's, it's actually a pretty interesting tangent. I, Jackie's also a friend of mine. I know she's heavily involved in the in the entertainment industry, and that's one of the things that I, I we were both technically probably working in that industry, not knowing each other at the time. I was on the more of the uh, special effects slash uh, modeling part, where creating the uh, you know just different ships and guns and things like that for you know whatever. So Are you talking, really uh, we on the project Matt Camelot together. Yeah, well, I was I did. We crossed paths on Camelot. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, I was working with uh, Carrie and Tommy um, from about 2011 until about 2012, like kind of full time. And then now I'll consult with Tommy from time to time. We actually have some projects that we still have going, and um, and that was that was a lot of fun actually. There's some, uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> like and in, uh, being on on as a fan, and then eventually working with Carrie and such was really really interesting and you know learning experience really. It is it's awesome to you know what I found in this whole thing uh that you get to meet all those people that you have read about or you know idolized really then you then you start meeting them and it's just really kind of crazy you know that you're all in the mix together and you have very similar interests you know so all of us get along really well we're just getting drawn to each other it's really odd to me it is it really is and and such a diverse amount of uh backgrounds. I mean one yeah. one of the one of the background stories I can share on about some of the Camelot stuff for instance on one of the, the interviews that I helped film was the Norm Bergen interview um about the uh, ringmakers of Saturn. And uh that was a really, really intriguing experience because here this man was, you know, predates NASA in the sense that he was he was an engineer for stuff before it was called NASA. And he's saying that there's stuff that didn't make it on that interview because for some reason, the tapes just erased, and this was, and there's a there's a protocol that we go by when when we help with Project Camelot's interviews. So when the tapes are done, if we're using digital tapes or the or the secure digital cards, they're immediately marked. They're you know they're they're labeled, and then they're put in a secure location, and that that secure location is is handled by Carrie. So basically, it was all it never left one of our sites at one, at all. But this this tape was just mysteriously erased in certain spots, and um, and there's some pretty interesting, pretty interesting information he was talking about in there about the old, um, you know, NASA programs like how, and this is one of the distinctions I think that did make on that interview about the quote unquote very tall black men, and and Carrie asked, was do you mean African descent? And he's like, no, black, you know, so he meant like distinctly something else, and um, and. It was pretty pretty intriguing seeing how even this man he was ninety two at the time and he lived in, in it was a very, very affluent area in, in Northern California he was at and I, it struck me odd is that he had padlocks on all of his closets, everything, right? And he told us later mm-hmm. it's because he had so many break ins for people trying to wipe his, his information. And um yeah. and he showed us all of his original books and this is what was intriguing to me because you can see this page looked emulsified. But then when you touched it, it was smooth. As it was, and you could tell it was like a photographic paper. And what he was saying, he's like, yeah, there was a photograph on there of one of the original Ringmaker pictures. But then when one, during one of these break-ins, he opens the book and this, this 
image is emulsified, but the 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 top of it is unremarkable. Like it feels like it it just came right out of the printing press or the darkroom, but the image itself was like erased, which was just mind blowing. How strange. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, they can actually do whatever they want to do. You know, I'm finding out that um, there's something else that you were, uh, I, I read somewhere about you that you were also in uh, involved in holograms and things like that and using them as part of not only entertainment but sort of for uh, sales. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, so, but also for sales and... I've been giving that uh, those hologram things a lot of thought lately. Um, do you? What do you believe? How uh, and how do they play a part in, let's say, uh, disinformation? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, in disinformation, I can see, for instance, certain incarnations of this type of, of that technology could be set up to fail to essentially create, um, dissuade the consumers to believe in it because maybe the people who put it in practice at first really didn't have it stabilized. And this is where, I mean, with, with our company, where we moved from, away from the holographic um, substrates to engineer our own material because what we're seeing is that we're talking about the similar concepts about, I guess, a type of frequency bombardment. So that's where that scalar term comes in. And... Um, and in, in terms of disinformation, and I'm glad you went right to there because this is a hot topic internally, is that that seems to be a, the spearhead of a lot of the attempts to keep this technology down. Like it, it, it crosses radionics too, um, things like that. Because, And this is one of the, the theories that I post that even about um, people like Nikola Tesla, you know, when I hear the the excuse that the Morgan said that they couldn't put a meter on it, I'm crying foul there. I, I just don't think so because right now we have a meter on our cell phones, right, and there's no wire on it. Um, so that's not mm-hmm. the issue. The issue was the fact that frequency modulation very profound, and it has to be looked at very responsibly. So that's the other thing I have to say. I understand why there's probably been some extreme measures to stop some technology because I some people thinking that they're going to do good, they don't realize that their machine, could someone could take their machine and do some really horrible things with it. Even though if it was made to cure cancer, that cancer-curing machine could crack a building in two. Right? Yeah. So, so there's those kind of possibilities too. And I, and I, I try not to be too sensational, but it's like honestly, I've seen too many energetic phenomena and anomalies just in, in our yeah. own research. That you have to, and we've we've had a very significant explosion in our lab, and and it and we have it's very strange. <laughs> so, um, well, so. I'm glad I asked you because um, okay, uh, I have seen a lot of strange things, and now it's really in broad daylight. Like I've seen a lot of weird stuff, and then my uh, friend, a, a couple, and my best friend that I've known for uh, you know all hope our whole adult life. Uh, her and her husband began uh, seeing things on the street that I told her something's going on in the street. I can feel it. I can sense it. I can't really see anything, but it's there. And then she said that she saw and thought that she was on a uh, old dirt road from the 70s or something, 60s or 70s. 
And there were a lot of dirt roads around here. I remember that back then. Even down in yeah. Hermosa Beach in that area. So uh so that that I said, Okay, that's that's strange. I said, I feel it okay, so one day this just happened a couple of weeks ago, so I've been thinking about it ever since I was exposed to this. I thought I saw you know how you have a big uh tanker truck that's extremely shiny, you know, the ones they really buff out and they're kinda of beautiful really. So I saw one of those, but I but it was square, which I've never seen. And then it looked like it was shooting a movie on the back of it, right? And I thought, well, that's a, that's a trip. It looks like that dirt road uh, my friends were talking about. So I tried to chase it, but as soon as I changed the angle of my car, I didn't see it anymore. But that's not the only thing that I've seen. And then I real then I called her, and I said, do you think that we're what we're experiencing is some kind of hologram or experimentation going? And she said, why the heck did you say that? You know, because we're trying to think it's like a paranormal phenomenon. I'm starting yeah. to think it's more of a, uh, a hologram, some kind of experimentation, because also when they're moving uh, big machinery around here, because I live near some refineries, you know what tune? You know they play a tune, right? Of warning. You know what tune it is? It's dun 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 dun. The one from that movie. Yeah, Close Encounters. Yeah, Close Encounters. Yeah, from Close Encounters. And I thought, are they joking? You know, <laughs> but everybody's heard it. You know, so that's their moving big machine tune. So I think they're like in a joking way trying to inform us. This is strange things going on. I wouldn't doubt that at all. And to me, that, that makes a lot of sense considering from my own personal experience and conferring with other colleagues of mine is that, as we know, you know, we've, we've all watched the 2012 phenomenon develop and we've all watched how it correlates to our astronomical position in the galaxy, which we see correlates with the NASA heliosphere information, et cetera, et cetera, which is causing density fluctuation. And those density fluctuations, you can say, are kind of like what one can almost synonymize with different dimensions or realities. And yeah. so what I'm realizing is some of these things, they may be disinfo, they may be distractions. Some of it may be crossover from multidimensional projects. And that actually gets a lot mm-hmm. into, into stuff that um, I have some awareness about concerning some of um, the current multidimensional projects and some of their origins. Um, because if, if any of your audience or yourself is familiar with the show Fringe, there's a lot of similarities in relation to different realities just slightly altered from ours but are oscillating very, very close, and they cross at certain points. And so this is where you hear about portals in terms of ley lines or just magnetic lines on the Earth. But then this also, I'm, I'm theorizing from what I'm seeing here, is population density is also another variance, and then also density itself. So when you're talking about moving tankers, um, theoretically the the more dense these objects are, I can see how they they do create it creates a different type of standing wave environment when you move objects. That's part of what we do with our technology. Just the fact that it's in the environment alters the environment's frequency. So movement of different objects is very key in certain um projects related to multidimensional applications. And then doesn't that sound a lot like certain, you know, cleansing rituals or, you know, whatever yeah. practices? So. Well, Jerry, 
I think we're hitting on something because uh, I I have really I, I, this is the first time we've spoken, and uh, it's really hard to talk about these subjects, especially when you're experiencing them. And then I had an idea that you would know what I was speaking of and had experienced it. So it's quite exciting for me, and I know my listeners that we're speaking to a person that's you know really involved in this experimentation and stuff like that. So what I'm going to ask you is, have you experienced other dimensions and how are you experiencing this? If you want to describe any of this to us. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, actually. Um, and I, I can give different kinds of examples. I mean, there's this, this sort of shared experience kind of concept here. Now, for me, when I, when I was really young, and this is where I realized it's, this is one of those things that stuck out in my mind that made me think about, like, something else going on here. Now, until about, I would say, 1992 or three, depending on when I went into Albertsons or Ralph's or Vaughn's or whatever grocery store, Paul Newman would be dead. There would be a, a commemorative spaghetti sauce for him about he died X amount of years ago. And then sometimes it would be gone. And this confused me when I was young. And then, then when I got older, I'm like, that's just weird, you know? And then I started hearing other stories about people saying things like their, their sweater might trip up on the opposite side one day as opposed to the other, even though they know it's the same sweater. Um, so that's one of those, those instances I'm sure your audience could probably relate mm-hmm. to, like small little changes like that. And then just to go on the extreme, extreme opposite would be what I was experiencing, say, in my military abduction um, participation which would be jump you're in these other realities they're skewing this one they're they're meant to skew this one to an intended purpose. So and what you do is you can resynchronize yourself to an to a slightly altered reality which is very, very close to this one. So this is where you can kind of die and not because you just resynchronize in a sense to a different reality that's that's minutely different but pretty much the exact same thing and this is why i love that that new cartoon that came out this past year rick and morty because they kind of they, they parody and satirize a lot of these concepts uh, in a kind of like you know demented uh back to the future you know um, brown and marty kind of way and they talk about they have examples of things like that where yes you can't kind of slip back into altered realities this way and this would kind of make a lot of sense i'm sure with love um the stories your audience has heard from people like at Project Camelot where you can have you can be gone for decades but then be snapped back like right where like as if you didn't leave. Yeah. Um wow. Uh I I really do think that the shows and the movies are reflective of what's really going on, you know. It's like mm-hmm. look at look at uh, like we've all noticed in Star Trek and stuff like that. Now we have these little handhelds and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And we're walking around with these things and uh, uh, all kinds of uh, great stuff. And, you know, it's just become a reality for us. And they were just little uh, beepers with little lights stuck on them before. You know, now we have some kind of phenomenal things, really. You know, technology speaks, technological yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, on the Star Trek note, I mean, there is technology, you know, similar to ours, and they, we're all evolving to that sort of tricorder 
um, slash medical tricorder device. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we're doing, you can say, is very akin to that because we're, we're modulating frequencies to correlating effects. And so in the case of body, you know, we're, we're transferring the information of a functioning, healthy functioning body, and then the body kind of takes over, the person takes over from there. It, uh, they, you, kind of, you sort of literally kind of shake the molecules in place, kind of fun stuff. And so people do this with lasers, do it with different types of frequency modulation like we talked about. And this is why even things like sound and aromatherapy, you know, low-level light therapy, mm-hmm. things are very, very valid. Absolutely, because it, it does well, help in, in our physiology. Yeah, well, Jerry, you know, I just got to the doctors, right? They took my temperature from a distance. They just waved this thing in front of me and took my temperature. I went, did that just take my temperature? And she said, yes. And she never touched me. She wasn't even within two feet of me. She was just maybe two feet away. And she just waved this thing, and then she knew what my body temperature was. Interesting. Have yeah, there's. Have you gone, have you been, I'm sure to God. Like, uh, this is just, I don't, that wasn't, that that happened the last time I went, but not the time before. They didn't have it yet. So there is stuff they're, they're waving at you, and they're all, already can tell your temperature, uh, probably your heart rate. And uh, I know they can read your, let's say, if you're uh, at a distance and you're coming up to a building. They can, and you have your passport with you, they can reach your passport. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There's a lot of ways the information would be triangulated. And, you know, obviously people like Snowden kind of let let the masses in on a little bit of it. Yeah, it's, you know, quite extensive in terms of tracking capabilities of, and I wouldn't even necessarily say it's like the American government. It's it's more of like an international coalition um, that their capabilities are just pretty pretty insane. <laughs> it's, just, it's pretty amazing. So, um, yeah. And, and I say that just because I've witnessed enough phenomenon, even just not even outside my own experience, my first time experience, but just having a type of disruptive technology ourselves. You know, we have a lot of dirty tricks played on us, so we get to see some of these things. It's kind of it's, it's pretty pretty amazing sometimes, especially when like you get the movie style computer hacks where things are just literally shutting down and deleting themselves off your computer. You know, <laughs> those are kind of. <laughs> Yeah, the first time uh, I had a tech, he helped me, and he said, do you mind if I take control of your computer? And I went, you're going to do what? And I said, okay, and he did. You know what I mean? He was actually in my computer, and he could see my desktop and was doing all that. And, and you know that, uh, uh, this, okay, this is what I, I was trying to get at, but I keep forgetting to ask you about it, is that, the reason why I brought up the uh, um, holograms and stuff like that is because I don't want to be because I'm I'm you know psychic too and have uh, ability to to remote view. I'm not trained or anything, but uh, I, I can do that. But on the other hand, I don't want to be viewing because I have a feeling about things sometimes. Like okay, I think I'm viewing a hologram, so that would not involve my paranormal. Uh, ability. Someone might be some, like some some idiot out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I think we have to be cautious, and we have to be cautious of what of what we are, who we are. Be so grounded, 
to know, you know what, that's not me. You know, that's just a hologram or something. Or That's what I meant by disinformation, too. Because we, be, we can be tricked ourselves into believing some BS about ourselves. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And that that's definitely, especially one of the things that, for myself, I I spent many, many years questioning myself in that manner, considering some of the, like, fantastic things that I was experiencing. And it, to me, it was just easier to reason them away as a type of dream fantasy or something like that. But then yeah. but there were all those precognitive experiences or other um, just structural links, shall we say, they were evident, and that's one of the things for myself and, and my involvement. When I first started speaking publicly about my experiences, I was one of the first people that mentioned Edwards Air Force Base by name in relation to electronic warfare. And then, as you see, it's like the, that expansion of what is traceable in the 70s really coincides with a lot of the phenomena that I'm explaining in terms of remote accessing of people and then also yeah. the fact, and as well as the underground bases to get to these different installations um, by ways of, like, say, the 5 Freeway, um, things like that. Um, so uh, it's, and it's all, it's all very tangible in that sense and how you're, you're concerned about, am I seeing what's real or is this something that's, it's, you know, made to this, you know, to, um, you know, basically confuse. Now, if yeah. that's, this is where it's important for us as individuals to hone our intuitive prowess with with techniques that we know that we can verify things. This is why I do teach remote viewing. The actual the protocols that are were established from Stanford Research Institute and Stargate program, um, because they are an excellent tool for getting to know yourself. Honestly, um, I know a lot of people think of it as a as a reconnaissance tool, which it can it can be yes, but ultimately. It, it serves great for honing your own personal intuition. I totally agree, and uh, that's another uh, fascinating thing that I would love to get training at is uh, remote viewing. And uh, um, I wanted to ask you about it. So, are are you still uh, practicing these abilities of out of body experiences and remote viewing and things like that? Oh, absolutely! Like every day, they're they're integrated into who I am at this point. Um, they're they're it's a type of walking meditation that one you know hears a lot about. And I'm not you know equating myself to any kind of Zen master or anything. I'm just saying that I like to live by you know what I find is is beneficial and works. And one of the things that I've seen work for myself is learning to be more centered. You know, and and in that sense, you have more clarity in those reads, be they clairvoyant, clairaudient, um, or just you know practical observations through the old eyes. You know, so um, it's uh, so in that sense, yeah, absolutely. And, and in relation to how I've trained myself at this point, you know, um, this is where a, a, a diligent student of intuitive arts you know, will get to a point where they can go inward and look or project out very fast, you know, seconds. You know, and, and we know, I'm sure your audience is very well aware that sometimes to do an astral projection where you really truly feel yourself bilocating, you know, sometimes it could take a little while of doing that. But the point is to know yourself well enough to where you can reach those states without having to do any specific duration of time. You know, sometimes just for our personal meditation, great, and it takes you an hour to meditate. That's exactly what you want. 
But when you're you're professionally applying it, you need the answer right now. And that's kind of that's where part of that the military aspect training of it comes in as well. That's where um, the they share the Stargate protocols with you, the remote viewing protocols, but they don't talk about the Project Phoenix ones, or they don't talk about some of the other NSA programs because those are on the fly thinking. That's like that's dynamic stuff, field agent, psychic agent stuff. Um, now that that comes with discipline and in a sense it also kind of comes with a price because then you really don't have any more excuses for yourself either when you start seeing certain things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then that's yeah. kind of where it has to come from, yeah. Yeah, I totally get it because, you know, what it's doing is uh, it's calling us to a higher authenticity, you know, because uh, what you felt like was honesty one day is not is not honesty the next day. You start realizing uh, that uh, integrity and honesty, especially with yourself and thus everybody else, that's the most important thing. Of course, the love component, that won't be out, but what I'm saying is, is that you have to really be spiritual fit to be able to do a lot of this stuff. But yeah. I feel like there, there could be harm with it, uh, but... I don't think you would get as far as you could get without being able to also come back. Okay, so I want to ask you something. Did, yeah. Have, have you experienced this with anybody else seeing you somewhere else or outside your body? I have experienced... I have... Okay, it's hard for me to confirm... Some of this, but people have told me that that they have said that they thought they see me when I would have may have been in meditation, kind of assessing certain things. And for sure, I've had verifiable telepathic dream experiences with multiple individuals. Um, so things like that, absolutely. Um, and then me personally, it's hard for me to verify, but I know I've seen things just not, you know, I've bilocated. You know, I know I've been I've been able to yeah. bilocate different instances, so I know I've seen things that are happening like right now kind of thing. Um, but whether someone saw me or not, um, I don't know. I'm not sure on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did have an experience um, that in my dream, it was me, there was an angel by me. I thought it was an angel, but I didn't turn around and look at it. Went over to my grandson, who was a few pounds away. He was having a nightmare. So I was standing in the room, I'm trying to give you the fast version. I was standing in his room and seeing him uh, beat the side of the bunk bed that he's sleeping in with a uh, whistle bat. You know those little bats they have in the house with those whistle balls? You really yeah. can't do much damage, but they're loud. Anyway, so he was whacking the thing because he said a machine dog was after him. So I was looking at him, and I was praying for him. And uh, I did think I saw something else in the room, maybe a light uh, come on and off or something. But I was really concentrating on praying for him and trying to help him through this terror. And then the next morning, I, I had a dream. Okay, this is a dream. So, of course, I love my grandkids. So I expect myself to dream about them and, you know, love them. So I didn't think it was odd till the next morning when I I started to tell my daughter and, uh, that I said, honey, I had a dream that 
Marky was, I just, I got that part, and she said, Mom, i got to tell you something. I said, well, what? She said, well, Mark was having a terrible nightmare last night. I went, yeah, I know. I was watching him. She said, but, Mom, I went to check on him. I opened the bathroom door, and you were standing there. I went, what? And she said, yeah, I saw you standing there. And she said, I was so shocked I shut the bathroom door. I actually did not see her, but I saw the light come open. You know, I guess it was the door when shut it. I just saw the light come on and go off. But anyway, I asked her. I was stunned, and she was stunned. And I was uh, wondering, what are the, I asked her this, too. Because uh, she's a seeker, and I'm I'm more I'm traditional, but I'm kind of I found out lately I'm a liberal Christian. But anyway, so uh, I was wondering what is the rules on this? Like, how do we get to do this? You know, it's it's fabulous. It's not the only time I've done that, but that's the one that uh, sticks out of my mind is somebody literally saw me stand. Yeah, that that that's a really beautiful story. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, and these things. I mean, I I think that are being rationally explained more and more as our innate abilities as humans. If we if we stop looking at the scientific model of everything as like little marbles, and they're more like yeah. uh, clouds, you know, that we're tuning into, and then we see the definition in the clouds as our receivers, you know, re- tune into that shape. And so in that sense, um, you know, this is where those sort of realities collide, where how you see there, that is a pretty good example of where you have a dimensional kind of warping happening because you have two very two representational versions of you coexisting in the same place in space-time, but just not in the exact same location in space-time. Um, <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> I wasn't exactly there, but I was over there. <laughs> Yeah, because wow. it's it's like those folds that they talk about in string theory or in wormholes. Yeah. Um, everything's kind of undulating like a frequency. These the the peaks and troughs cross each other, and those are in in classic scientific models. Those are interference patterns, interference grounds, or scalar fields, and that's where these things like um, binaural beats and and frequencies like that are good examples of scalar interaction. Because you're having an interference pattern creating a new form that, that with a specific intention. Wow. Uh, 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 the you know the more that I I I experience this stuff because it's, I thought you know I'm getting older now and I thought you know this stuff's going to start calming down but what has happened is I'm having more and more experiences. But on the other hand, I'm also getting in touch with people that uh, can explain and discuss these experiences. But I think maybe people are actually starting to, uh, like, almost, like, come to. I don't even know if it's waking up. I think it's just, like, coming to, you know, after uh, after being drunk. <laughs> it's like if you take the if you take the sedation of whatever you think things are like, and you stop and you wake up from that, you're like coming to realizing this place is more phenomenal, interesting, and incredible than we could ever imagine. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't even have words to what I'm trying to say. But I'm I'm rolled mm-hmm. over by it. I, I get you. I definitely get you because it's it is interesting to see how 
that naturally the just the human race, I guess you can say, innate ability to discover and understand more, you know, wonders of existence is what just can't be stopped. And that's how you know, people like you and our our company. It's like we all start in garages, man. And you know, Apple, I mean, all them did too, because of our innate ability to want to create. And and yeah, we're seeing what. And and I think you can even look in history and see how you have tools uh, developing archaeologically independent of each other at the same time. Like hammers all showed up all along all the continents at the same time. And you look at that's the hundred monkey effect too that we we hear referenced a lot. So there there is definitely some kind of inter, interconnected information field, and um and that that's even that and there's so many different sort of possible expressions out there of that which is to me profound and that whole undiscovered country of exploration in a lot of ways is where can we go from here? Hmm. Wow, yeah, because when you think about uh, the places on Earth terrestrial that really there's some places left that haven't been explored. And now we're thinking interdimensional, interdimensional travel, which I do believe in, because we have. Because uh, you're talking quantum mechanics is uh, one of your uh, interests. Uh, do you? Uh, how do you feel about the discovery of at least 12 more uh, physical? I mean, they actually can detect. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Now? Like I'm sorry, layers broke... of realities. There's layers, like twelve more of them. You can't. I'm sorry, you kind of broke up there. Do you mind repeating the last sentence there? Like, yeah, like dimensions. Like, what do you think about the the newly discovered? I don't know if it's new or not, but it's been the last few years. Uh, they're saying that there's twelve other detectable dimensions, and that uh, I really want to know what's going on in those dimensions. And what do you think about all this new? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, this, this is a really interesting um question, and, and I could see where like the there's a haze in a sense. Um, is for instance, we can get in dimen- dimensions, in some minds mean you know alter realities, but then dimensions are also linked depth and width. And then now, this is where I think that on a very practical level, where we've heard people say that society is evolving into a fourth and fifth dimensional perception, which I believe is a hundred percent accurate observation because in scientific realms, the fourth dimension is duration or time. So you have length, width, depth, and time. So that's one, two, three, fourth dimension. Now the, the fifth dimension is that is what they're still kind of debating on, but this is where the scalar field comes in, the information layer, et cetera, et cetera, because and the Hadron Collider actually did help confirm that for for us, really. And so this is one of the really profoundly good things that came out of that experiment, was that the, it made scientists agree that there had to be information interaction in, in relation to physical force. So no more chance and chaos dictates the universe. There is specific informational hierarchy. And that's where the, the scalar field, quote-unquote, comes in. This is something you can see on Wikipedia um, that links the Hadron Collider experiment because it deals with the, the, the quote-unquote, information vector. So basically it means you have to aim it. <laughs> so if you have to aim it, yeah. then that means there's information. So that that's that fifth dimension. So, yes, absolutely. Our society is absolutely moving into a fourth and fifth dimensional perception. 
Yes. And in that sense, on the metaphysical, that does open the door spiritually for perceptions of past lives, future lives, lives that are intergalactically past lives, interdimensional lives, um, things like that become a lot more apparent in our conscious mind because all of a sudden these things that we thought were just in our mind are starting to correlate with very tangible things. And then it's just up to us to, to realize that it connects with everything, that there is no, like, one true way, per se. Um, it's just everything just is in that sense, you know, some call it God, some kind of call it unified field, but either way, it's pretty apparent we're all connected. You know? <laughs> I think we are because uh, I think that that could be okay. So, what's the mechanism of remote viewing? Because maybe that is part of the mechanism is that we're connected. So, of, of course, I can observe it, even if it's mm-hmm. at a distance. Yeah, and that, that's 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 a, a fair um, fair assessment, and and this is where a lot of ways in the analytical presentation of remote viewing, that's how they they'll come at it from a very um, empirical point of view. And for me personally, when I when I teach remote viewing, I kind of, I suggest people or I train well everyone to review from a higher place, their higher self. You know, the, the place that's like if there's God and then just, and we're the thought just underneath it, that would be like our higher self right there sitting right next to all everything. And under, from kind of from that point of understanding, you'll have a more accurate read as you, if you should even look at the whole target or not because that's a whole other thing that comes up. And I'm sure you're, some of the audience I'm sure has read um, different books on remote viewing from the old ex-military uh, viewers and they'll talk about being blocked or just, you know, really kind of getting a don't look at that and then someone else does and this doesn't work out with a horrible read or something. Um, because there is a, an innate logical flow that that's beyond any one of our individual possible perceptions. And so if we allow for that, that's going to do better for us and whoever we're involved with too. So in remote viewing, some people absolutely can sort of stick to a fourth, fifth dimensional type of read and in that sense, this is where in the SRI protocols, the, the ideograms and the analytic overlay and such come in on your piece of paper. And so if you're just doing that, it's like, yeah, and you're not thinking about, you're just doing whatever, you're, you're doing your accounting and just doing that, and you're an accurate viewer that way, then in a lot of ways, yeah, you're, you're kind of a fourth, fifth dimensional perceptual viewer um, because it's not, it's just allowing the body conscious to receive and transcribe which in that in that sense is the, is what you want to do you know of course as a viewer and my suggestion is just to maybe question why sometimes because uh, i'm sure that there's ex-viewers um who would probably agree with that too because just because you can see something doesn't mean you should no exactly because there are something um you know, uh, my uh, son was actually house-sitting in a uh, uh, haunted house, and he was having, uh, I guess, some ghosts bother him. I I know and hear ghosts and all that, but I've never seen a ghost that I know of. I have heard stuff that sounded like it was real, but it really wasn't nothing there but a ghost. But anyway, he sees ghosts and stuff like that. So uh, he, was, he was over there. I knew he wasn't in his house when I went and visited him, but um, 
It's a horrible thought. Isn't that horrible? Your mother haunts you when she's not even dead yet. But anyway, so <laughs> I went over there. <laughs> but anyway, I went over there. And certain parts of his things were literally had a black box over them. You know, like mm-hmm. those magazines where the eyes are blacked out, so you don't know who it is? Stuff mm-hmm. in his house like that. But he wow. was laying on the floor underneath the kitchen table because... Uh, he couldn't sleep where he was, so he went to the other room and laid on the floor. And uh, so that's what I said. I said, why are you laying on the floor? And the kid, so I was praying for him because he seemed to be disturbed and something. He said, Mom, I knew you were there. He said, because I was having uh, some issues with close to his house, and then I went away. And he said, I knew you were there. And I said, were you laying on the floor near the kitchen? He said, yeah. I, had, I was actually in the living room, and I rolled over and ended up near the kitchen. And I thought that was very odd. Anyway, that's not the only uh, stuff. You know, I've gone to other countries and see things that I thought I can't tolerate. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's happened to you, but I felt like I really don't want to see this. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I, I can definitely empathize on that. And and even from when I was very young, I'm, I'm, even my parents, at least my mom recalls, um, there was a time when we went on a, a family trip, and um, and the place we were staying at, I, I just I hated it there. There's, I just did not want to stay there. And then at night, what I'm seeing is apparently there was some kind of homicide that happened there at some point, and I'm seeing over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, this really sucks. This is, and they're, they're not even like, because you know, I'm sure you know those of us familiar with paranormal, we know how the ghost thing goes, where it's like sometimes you have like a residual playback almost like a videotape it was kind of one of those where the the consciousness wasn't there anymore but you could see it just left a heavy heavy imprint on that location and it just kept cycling over and over again and um yeah so that that was uh one of those times i uh that i remember where that became apparent to me that that was how that was happening. I mean, when I was, I think I had to have been maybe like eight years years old or something like that. Um, yeah, and so um, yeah, I was exposed to some really really horrible things way young. Um, so I was just, and I was through those programs and such. Um, but uh, in the middle of that, yeah, there was definitely a lot of uh, spiritual experiences, shall we say, of of uh, you know different types of spirits. Yeah, you know? so that, that's the. It's a pretty interesting topic in itself, so I don't even know where to start on what would be the most interesting one there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's fascinating because uh, there's the world that uh, is going on alongside this world, but it's like another dimension. And it's running just like a tape or a movie, and you're right, and it does repeat itself over and over again until I guess after years, some, sometimes it wears out. You know, sometimes it takes a couple hundred years or whatever. But I thought it was so odd that you said that the intelligence is gone. It's just the actions playing over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, and and I think that it like in the sense that like the the spirit, the actual living force of the of the individual, isn't inhabiting that loop. It's it's um. You know, there's there's an essence of them that is still has that. You know, if there if there's actions being played out, yes, there's some kind of former intelligence there going on, but it's not like the person that I, like. There's other instances where you, you can kind of go, hey, you might want to like not do that, and they'll be like, uh, why? 
<laughs> so that, then you could tell they're they're still stuck there. That that person is still experiencing that over and over and over again. And usually, if, if like uh, they're if you're able to do that and say, hey, you're stuck here, that's usually when honestly their guides and stuff chime in and say, yeah, listen to that guy, please, you know, because they've been probably trying to get attention of that that person for a little while. So, at least in my experience. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think, uh, what would you think uh, uh, from these kind of -of out-of-body experiences and uh, remote viewing, I could see um, uh, the the benefit of remote viewing that you were able to locate items and help people that are missing and things like that. What do you think is the benefit of of leaving your body? What is the benefit? I mean, in a lot of ways, I think it expands our perceptions of what we thought we could be, you know, especially if one hasn't experienced that before, like they haven't experienced some kind of metaphysical phenomenon. And there's exercises that I teach too that are kind of like stepping stones to get to the point where you can verify, you know, that, yes, you're bilocating because the the thing in the other room you set or someone set up for you, you know, you're able to pick it out, you know, in a sense. And which would differ from, say, a remote view because, you know, and I guess this is where it can kind of get confusing for a lot of audiences too is because the terminologies, we haven't really, it's not like society has decided this is what we call everything. So like, when I say bilocational um, projections, I, I mean that there's a, there is a, a feeling as if you are physically located in two places. And then when I say, when I say remote viewing, and specifically I'm talking about the, the Stanford Research Institute protocols where there's a paper and it's data-orientated. And then in terms of psychic information, a lot of times when I talk about, I'll say, clairvoyant visions. Um, and that's well when we're sort of sitting and like, this person is going to call me right now. And then they call you, you know, and you see them grabbing the phone and everything back before. That would, I would consider that a, a clairvoyant vision. Um, and so in that sense, um, the the benefits of being able to leave one's body is the fact that as we're able to expand our, our perceptions into more than we thought we ever could be, number one. And then number two, there's ways you can practically apply those experiences. For instance, um, the very common lucid dreaming uh, application is a type of projection into a different reality where you can hone a skill. I mean, you can literally learn how to sew and you can literally learn how to play an instrument these things have been demonstrated in labs even. There's a great book I recommend on, on that subject called Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming by Stephen LeBerg. I, I don't even bother writing another book like it because if I did write a book on this, I'd write it like that um, in terms of that technique. Um, so I just I go ahead and say get that book. It's great because that's one of the, the immediate benefits anyone can see from learning to project. And, and even though it's a lucid dreaming book, like, don't let that fool anyone out there. This, this it's the same thing in a lot of ways as clairvoyant projections, or or out of body projections from a awakened state. Because ultimately, a lot of the symbolic um, bandwidth of reality it crosses over with itself with each other in, in terms of clairvoyant waking visions and nighttime projections or sleep projections because we're still kind of doing in the same area. And this is one of the things that, on the personal side, I've been able to confirm 
Um, and some of them all have some protocols, but, you know, with, with the, my colleagues who I work with um, and some of my students, we've been able to verify, yeah, we're looking at the same thing, whether we're, like, asleep or we're not. So there is some verification of, of the connectivity aspect that, you know, and in that way, too, just for, I guess, the lay listener out there, kind of go, how it leads more chance that it's not just someone's, one person's imagination, yeah, and that and that's really important too, even you know, for our ourselves to know that that we're not making it up. So that's where the true confidence comes from, which kind of brings us back to your earlier um, observation of like, how do I know if it's a hologram or not? Well, when you have these things trained to where you 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 even know what it feels like when you're wrong, and it doesn't feel like that too, then you're probably right, and you can probably verify it because you'll know what's going to happen next if that's the truth. Yeah. 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 Now, any of these okay, experiences, because they're quite phenomenal, even uh, if you were in remote view before and were trained to do so, how did it affect your religious beliefs? I, I, I don't know if you had what they were when you grew up, but how did it affect your religious beliefs? Um, how, how did it affect my what, I'm sorry? How did these experiences affect your religious or spiritual belief system? Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think for me um, personally, um, you know, I've I've had a I'm was never really too into structured religion, um, and in a lot of ways, what happened as I was went deeper into understanding myself and projecting out and experiencing more um, phenomenon, it just we it led more credence to a lot of people were saying by and large. So in other words. Like whether and I didn't discount the concept of demons, but I, I yes they are real. I mean they're absolutely real. What people think of as demons, yes, those are real. And same thing with like angels, what people think of as and yes, that really exists. It does. Um, so now what, some of the stuff that people think of religion, it's shown me that yeah, that's not true though. Like some of some of the de- the judgment after death stuff. No, it's not. It's not how it goes. Yeah. Like it's, it's not. Um, and uh, I mean, you can set that up for yourself, but that's usually why we run into these ghosts. They're still stuck on this planet because they're still stuck in in a spiritual ethos that keeps them locked into just this planet, and so they're still here. And so it's their own thought form, in a sense, that catches them here. And in that sense, this is where you hear those stories from the conspiracy communities about aliens trapping souls in hell and such like that, and Anunnaki did this. It's kind of true, but it's not like it's not like they have a little box, per se, that they keep their little... By and large, what we're talking about here, it's like it, it is has to do with thought forms. So in, the, in that sense, it. but it, it ultimately, though, what we think about is everything and nothing or... Uh, you know, God, you know, that is there too. You know, we're a part of a larger unit, one being that is seeing some really cool things, and we happen to be those cool things. So, um, so yeah, it makes things a lot easier to cope with when, you know, times get difficult in this dimension. So, I get, I get a lot, even though as strange things as, as strange things as things have gotten, for some reason, it's strengthening my uh, uh, spiritual uh, worldview. I don't see a conflict. When a lot of people see a conflict, it's not happening with me. 
know, mm-hmm. I see uh, uh, interesting, like, oh, that's different, or whatever, but it's, it's uh, you know, because I have uh, other friends, uh, Marsha and Ed Becker, I don't know if you know who they are, but they're coming out next week, and, and they do believe in the demon world and all that, and that, uh, you know, it's a serious uh, problem, and I just uh, avoid it, really. You know what I mean? If I feel anything negative, you know, I do use my spiritual uh, uh, practices uh, to stay out of that whole mess. But anyway, uh, yeah, because I, I feel like uh, it's scary. It's more to do with uh, scary movies and stuff like that, but even though I know it's real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just choose not to handle it or deal with it or whatever. But anyway, I have people asking questions about your UFO experience. Okay. And uh, they want to know uh, what uh, about your abduction experiences? Have you seen a UFO and things like that? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, now, one of the tips uh, I'd love to share here. Um, now, I've seen all kinds of different UFOs, different places. But if you want an almost guaranteed, sure shot UFO, time to go out to the Southern California desert just. Just below northern, I mean, central California, look up Lake Isabella. If you look up Lake Isabella in California, you'll see it's right on the other side of the Mojave Desert, and then the other side is, is the center, is our plains over here, or just whatever. And those hills, you, you see, if you just look up there, you don't need night vision, you don't need anything like that. You can just look up, and you will see things that are clearly not planes, <laughs> and they're not satellites. Um, so, um, so that that's that's just a tip that I found out um, in my own endeavors to find out about my past um, involvement in the desert there, and didn't realize that it's like, oh my God, you can just look up and see these things really high, changing direction on you, you know what I mean, stuff like that, and yeah. and the directions you know are just usually kind of coincide with a, a flight route, say from Edwards to um, uh, Vandenberg, right? and so you see this this highway. A very high altitude craft that absolutely are not conventional planes. So, um, so that's a fun one just to check out. And then, oh, just over, I mean, because of where we're at here in Southern California, there's a lot of military movement at any given time. And I actually do have a photo of a triangular craft I caught one day when I was just um, snapping pictures of the chemtrail rainbows. And uh, right in the middle of three quick oh. snaps, Right in the middle of was a night was a very high flying triangular aircraft. I actually do have that posted on my Facebook photo somewhere, um, and I can, you know, put that in uh, on the thread there somewhere too. If it was interesting yeah, to see that. Yeah. Um, and that one even got that that I actually did post that uh, that photo online a couple of places, and it was one of those where they that no one could debunk it kind of thing. It was just like and a lot of yeah. the, the professional debunkers couldn't even didn't want to bother trying because it was just so apparent that this thing was way high. <laughs> so it was pretty good. So, so well, there's, that one. Uh, yeah, because I looked it up and it says, you know, Lake Isabella, uh, the sightings go back even to the 50s. Because there was mm-hmm. like a big sighting in 57 and uh, people are talking about, you know, family photos and stuff like that. And so it's gone back to the 50s, and uh, it's, it's, I think there's a lot of spots like this in California. 
Because I also heard that state in New York, but I've seen a lot of stuff in California too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then actually, know, yeah, it, it does impact people, especially uh, me and my my friend have seen uh, something together, and then they saw something together, and then uh, they saw something with my ex. So we're talking about even the, the cigar-looking one and the triangle one and all this. One time, I was picking up my friend for lunch, and we lived really close to each other. We were going to go to Denny's for a hangout, you know, because we were old. Anyway... So we went, uh, we, I picked you up. I said, come on, come on, get in the car quick. Let's go. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm chasing a cylinder cloud. I said, I said, the clouds did not look suspicious until all the clouds, you know how clouds just get missing and disappear? Well, this thing was, was stuck out by itself trying to get out of here, and nonchalantly it was trying to go across the sky. It was actually a cylinder-shaped cloud that was moving independently, and it was going left. It wasn't wispy or anything else. It was traveling towards the well, towards the east. Mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of funny to us because mm-hmm. it definitely was like a cylinder trying to hide at the clouds. And uh, but these but, but I don't know what to say about that one because it looked like literally like a can, a long can with edges. So it was a cloud looking thing. Yeah, and I'm guessing I'm guessing some of the stuff like that is. Okay, there there's optical blending, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. physical force. So the so water kind of could be just con- condensing around it, and, the, and so you can't really see it. It looks like a cloud, but it's there. It's just there's just, the, the optics are just bending the light around it, so it just looks like this weird cloud. <laughs> that to me, that's what, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because that's what mm-hmm. it looks like to us. So uh, during your uh, abduction experiences and um, can you tell us something about that? What, what, like when did it have start happening and how old were you and could you tell us something about your experience? Yeah, there there was there was two types in general I would say. There was the types that were involved with the um, the military programs and then there was seemingly the outside sort of counseling ones. Now during the military stuff um, that's where I had a lot of experiences with greys and um, different types of reptilians, mantis people, uh, humanoids of other origin, I guess you can call it. And then there's a lot of things that just don't look like people. It's kind of they're just hard to explain. Um, but then um, on the other side, um, in terms of the more positive experience, overall experiences, I attended a liaison with what I came to understand what a lot of people tell me are about Koreans. Um, very light beings, like they're, you know, kind of guppy-looking if they had a 3D expression kind of in a sense, um, but very large, and but can change can change forms. Um, and then, of course, there's grays involved there, and then, uh, then there's other humanoids, which I guess it sounds a lot like what people talk about in relation to Syrians and, um, oh, my God, Pleiadians, I guess that's what I want. Um, so the... the so those are the type, the, the general sort of races, and how those interactions were. I mean, I've had a lot of, like, it's just, like I said, it kind of runs that full gambit. So in terms of the military side, I mean, that was everything from working with various things, um, fighting against these other things, um, and then, uh, and then on the other side of things, like the more conventional, I have experience where. 
there's been types of operations, but they weren't like invasively terrifying or anything. They actually helped. Um, and then, um, and then there's also the, uh, I guess it's just like a visit, like a communion, you know, like, okay, this is what's happening right now. Uh, nice to meet you kind of thing. And then in terms of astral projections though, there, when one traverses what I like to call the telepathic bandwidth, you'll sometimes run across other beings, including aliens. So that's also where I've had some interactions. And so those have been kind of fun. So I mean, any, so in that sense, I can kind of go into the military part and go into the sort of that experimentation part or just the talking part. So I'm not even sure what, what sounds most more interesting to you at this point, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, what do you feel they're doing with you? What do they want with you? Oh, I'm sorry? What do they want with you? What's, what is their intention? <laughs> um, well, I think that, that ultimately there seems to be a lot of interest on this planet mutually by all these different beings for one reason or another. And so that's why I think ultimately yeah. nothing really horrible happens here not because anyone's like a really nice person per se. It's just because there's more, it's like, a, you know, your, your neighbor's not going to let you build a bomb to blow up their, your house. Like, cause it's like, there's going to be shrapnel and it's going to destroy my house. So that's kind of where the very least where some of this attitude comes in. But then also in terms of our galactic heritage, and this is part of what some of my experiences were about was sort of, reacquainting myself with people I've known from other places in time. So they could, but right now, you know, they're a great alien, you know? Um, so, and it's, uh, and so in that sense that they're, you know, we have our family here. I know a lot of people are familiar with class lives on earth, but we've had lives on planets too. And so that, in that sense, a lot of these people, these visitations that people are experiencing are literally your family from another time. So, um, and this would probably explain a lot of people why they, they, they don't have those really, you know, traumatic experiences of, you know, things being stuck in where they kind of end up just, it, the the ET is made just standing there and kind of just looking at them. And it's kind of like, what? And they don't really know what to do. It's probably because yeah. it's like they're fighting with an old family member and they're just like, they're kind of awestruck too. They're like, oh, wow, you're a human. You know? <laughs> so... That's kind of what that happens. It happens more common than people realize, actually. Yeah. Um, have you uh, personally uh, seen, like, what, what kind of, uh, of beings have you observed that haven't seen that? Or do they look human to That are human-like, as I said, or you kind of broke up again? Do you, do you feel that they are... Uh, if they look human, or do they look like, like you know, these you? What do they look like? Uh, you know? It it kind of depends on on the individual I'm talking to, and that's kind of where, I guess, in that sense, my experiences were kind of unique. Which I found later because because of that disassociation during the military projects, I just kind of like because I've had dream experiences where. I was talking to my mom, but it wasn't my mom kind of thing, or, you know, the sofa yeah. or something. So I kind of just took it all like that. And then until it started making sense that, no, that's really their form, you know, and, and that's, no, yeah. they really are little aliens, you know. So, yes, they really are little gays, 
And there are these, there's different types of reptilians. You know, there's ones that look pretty much human in the sense that they, you, you look at them and you would think that they're pretty much human like us, but that, but there's something slightly different about their skin pattern. And that's where you can kind of see where it's a little bit more um, homogenous versus our sort of more fractally, you know, fantasy land skin patterns here. Um, there's a little more orderly, but then you have the other ones that do kind of look gargoyle-ish, you know what I mean? So you have, there's these different ones, and I've, I'm, I can't say I know for sure, but this seems to coincide with a lot of other military whistleblowers who say that that's a different reptilian origins, like ones from Draconis versus Zeta Reticuli 3 or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, so, which I don't doubt is the case, considering that they're, you know, we understand that there's sort of physical building blocks in this universe that things could possibly spring from. So it's really not that outlandish to think that, you know, we're, there'll be other people who look kind of like us. There's things that would look yeah. really kind of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so then, uh, you know, there, there's those, for a long time, there was a lot of, you know, uh, gray and, and reptilian interaction. And then with mixed in with some of the, um, you know, non uh, Earth humanoids and um, and then that, the Arcturian ones. Um, those are the main ones. But then, in terms of say military operations, a lot of times those seem to be they're they're humanoids. But I honestly haven't seen much things that kind of depictions that kind of look similar. So um, you know, they're so it's like without having to illustrate things, it's kind of hard to say exactly what. Um, I see them most of the time, but um, but a lot of times things like um, reptilians and such would be present um, during those kind of military um, endeavors, as well as the the, the little grays. But then also the um, I've heard mentioned different times from other people too, but the taller white gray type of oh, it's white gray. It kind of sounds kind of funny, but it's a uh, you know, they're kind of like taller versions of the little gray aliens that most people are, are used to seeing, but they're white and they are more nimble. Um, and there's other, there's, is, there is information I know about that particular race too and how they're engineered by certain other. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you a couple of things about them? Because I did see something that was so phenomenal one time because uh, I really, uh, Usually I'm dreaming about something, but I've never seen anything that looks like a reptile. But to me, I think I have seen hummingbirds, you know, where they had, like, green feathers and big black eyes. You know what I'm saying? But I think think a reptile is probably impossible for me to see. Like, I'm too terrified. So I'm seeing these hummingbirds, and when you really take it apart, uh, they have the big, big black eyes and they have the green feather scale, or rather feathers. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I might be seeing yeah. them. I don't. I don't know. But one time, yeah. I woke up and I saw five beings floating through the wall into my house, and they were looking around like they just were were stunned and amazed. They looked opalescent white, and I totally forgot all about this. So I read a diary. And I wrote in my diary, I actually saw aliens coming through the wall because I, I woke up and I was wide awake. And I wanted to see them so badly, but I was terrified to turn my back. So I was looking for the clicker so I could turn the TV on, which I did. And they were still there, but now they were backing up because they could see that I was awake and all that. 
that they were like floating, but they looked like they were. Uh, the skin had a. I wrote down. They skin looked tiny bit tinge of blue. They were white. Uh, they had an opalescent quality to their skin. I thought they looked like they had spacesuits on. Kind of a round head. With I thought it was a hat, like a spacesuit hat. And uh, I, how could you see something like that and then totally forget about it? I have no idea. But I did. I didn't have any any recall of this until I was reading my diary one day. Hmm. Yeah. And, so uh, that's the white beings. Interesting. So were they um, white? Were they white? Were they scaly or were they shiny or they tinge of blue? Like, uh, what kind of white? <laughs> I think only another yeah. abductee would ask you what kind of white. <laughs> kind of white oh no, it's, it's, it's a perfectly logical question, really. I mean, in that yeah. sense, I'd almost say like, um, like the white of like a like white powdered skin. So it was very matte colored. You know, it didn't seem like they had it, like their skin didn't seem very oily. And it seemed like it, it was fairly dry. And um, and they, in terms of their lankiness, um, I would say like. Because they would kind of, they when they're sort of at rest or kind of just walking like normal, they're maybe like, I don't know, something six two, six five looking in terms of height. But when they actually kind of extend themselves to run, then they're pretty damn tall. They're like seven something, I would say, um, and very formidable. That was, and that's one of the they walk. Yeah, because they had very animal-like sort of configurations of their knees and legs. So the it, for us, it kind of looks like they're you know turned backwards, like a cat or a dog would have, yeah, kind of exactly. have. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, That's what I was at. Yeah, and because yeah, they will run on all fours. Yes, they'll do that. <laughs> so and, uh, and those, yeah, those the the there's uh, honestly just kind of, so I'm sure some of your audience could probably pick it up. This sort of tension in my voice that those those kind of entities are things that I ran into a lot in some of our military operations and uh, they're not very fun to deal with so <laughs> they're very formidable and no. not very nice. so, they, they um, don't seem to care really they're just brisk and they do what they want to do and uh, this is my experience with that is that this, I had this reoccurring dream that I was on white planes and white buses going to an un- underground uh Station that was uh, ours, and uh, I was taken by a little red trolley into this underground place and to a hospital. I knew the aliens were with me, but I could see American doctors in white coats. So I was staring one at one so hard, I was so completely infuriated at him because I thought, he is a traitor. How dare he let an American subject get experimented on like this? And I was trying to read his name tag, and he got nervous, and he said, can she see me? She's looking right at me. And they were saying, they were saying she can't do anything, she can't see you, and she's not going to remember, but it took all my willpower. I couldn't see the badge, but I was trying so hard uh, to observe. He had this glass tall thing, glass with gray hair. He was a doctor. But he could see how angry I was at him. I was enraged with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair. Uh, I think people are traitors that go ahead and let, uh, I don't know. Some people say we signed up for this. I don't remember signing up for any of this. 
yeah, yeah, I guess so. And I know for myself, I had to process a lot of that, that too. And, um, and ultimately, what I've seen from this point of myself, and for, you know, I've learned to forgive myself and others as best I can. And what I'm seeing, everyone is doing what they think is right because they're afraid. And so those people, men, men and women in service, they're doing some of the stuff. They think they're doing what's right because, yeah, there's some serious monsters out there. Um, that we'll, we'll, we'll probably we'll be very, very, very glad that those black ops exist to stop those people. And I know that a lot of us disagree that the ones that our own people who cause problems, we don't like to. So everyone agrees we don't like this, the the malignancy that happens in this. But at the same time, yeah, we do kind of need to make a super death ray to make sure that the thing that ha- has one themselves out there won't use it on us or we have something to defend ourselves against if it comes this way. So there is legitimate concern of why some of these things happen. But, yeah, it's like it's kind of hard to see the greater good when you're the one that has, has the nervous system that's being pummeled. You know? And I know that from, from personal experience, too. You know? it's like, but um, but here we are. You know, this is where you and I, in that sense, experiencing some of these things are here so we can share them to show the value and that, that we are still here despite the fact that a lot of people will never know, you know, die trying to make sure that we're all still here. So, um, yeah. you know, very serious stuff. And that's what's happening now is that there's been such a uh, upsurge. I know a lot of people in the, this whole, the whole UFO field uh, are old, so they're passing. It's going to happen, but then it's happening to young people too. And very odd things are, are happening, really. And uh, uh, I used to, you know, before a couple of years ago, before I started this, this show, and how long will be three years, but uh, I was keeping it all in a box. You know, work is this life, you know, home life is this life, and then the UFO is another life, and I, I belong to a group, so I would go there and then my feelings. But now I know that it's affected every part of my life. Mm-hmm. You have to be very strong to be able to uh, cope with it because yeah. it alters your reality. It alters what you think and what you think about yourself. Mhm. Yep, yep. And that's why it's important that we learn to forgive ourselves too. And um, yeah, yeah that's. I like that's it. What we all yep, absolutely. I know for myself. I know I would have. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I bought into the lie at some point in terms of what I was doing. I thought I was really kind of doing my part as American or something. But then you find out it's like, you know, not necessarily all the time. And that's when you get really, you know, disillusioned. But you see that ultimately the majority of us do agree with each other or else we kind of be living in the proverbial Mad Max zone right now. So um, if we look at things more as like our commonality, we see that we actually can probably make a change quicker than we may give ourselves credit for, by and large. You know, even on the personal scale to like the grand scale of the planet. You know. Well, that's a good way to put it because you know it's made us very adaptable. You know what I mean? Traumatized, yes, but also able to operate uh, despite whatever trauma that's happened or how it's changed us. Because I'm, I fought for so many years and I, I didn't really have a pleasant experience until uh, basically recently, just because uh, uh, we're only like a few months into the new year, but it was basically the end of last year. I had a positive experience. That was the first one. Mm-hmm. So that, 
that out of since childhood being abducted, but uh, it's, uh, it seems very dishonest to me because this stuff is like cloak and dagger stuff. So I don't know if, it, if they feel that we can't tolerate this information or, you know, because it doesn't seem like anybody uh, that has... Okay, I'm talking different between interested parties and researchers and experiencers. I think as experiencers, there's another whole uh, hurdle to overcome. That's the trauma and the change that you've incurred by being touched by aliens, literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you're now touched, you know. It's not, you can't, like once you turn into a pickle, you can't turn back into something like a cucumber again. Mm-hmm. You know, you're now, you know, you're now a touched individual by some alien and, uh, you know, that's, uh, but my last experience was pretty positive. Good. Definitely. And that's kind of like we're harking back a little bit to earlier in the conversation where I said about, you know, people's innate ability to discover more, um, that just becomes overwhelming. You know, it's like, how did that just happen? if it wasn't supposed to happen in this reality. And it's one of the things that I know when I've had, um, you know, new experiencers reach out to me and, and, you know, with that sort of shock, like that means everything I thought was, wasn't true. It's like, Oh, kind of. (laughs) So, yeah. That's why it's uh, better to be. Okay. So in some cases you're not, some people aren't safe if they talk about it. Yeah. And then other people are safe if they talk about it but I'm not understanding why. And then uh, part of my personal development was actually coming out about it. So I've been talking about it in, in behind closed doors and in a group for 20, you know, 20 years. And I've only been really out talking about it the last two and a half years. But now I just feel like whatever, you know what I mean? If they're after me, they're going to get me, then, you know, I, I guess they can come here all they want. They can do what they want, but... Uh, I think they're after certain people for a certain reasons. I think for you, since you're extremely intelligent, you're also spiritually gifted and psychic, that's why they want you. There's something, they, they choose people that are highly creative and things like that. It seems like to me. I don't, I don't know if you find that to be true. Yeah, definitely. And I think, and like um, I heard you yeah, mention um, during the, the mention of the, Contact in the desert. One of our friends, Laura Eisenhower, um, and how in her story, how she'll say that when she figured out what they were trying to do and get, and including her on the Mars project, how she also found out that they knew about her and her ex's past lives together, which is why they tried to exploit that to get her to go to Mars. And so, in that sense, on some some level of intelligence in in the government, so to speak, or the shadow government they know about who you were before you got here, too. And so they look at that. And so this is where my theory, and that I'm kind of just putting together when I can, hobby kind of stuff, is where how, it, it, when you know how to look, it works into the social programming in the sense of like, you know, how's to say that the person that, that a lot of people are married wasn't set up for them before they got here? Um, because of this social programming in relation, if they already knew that information, and see, Laura is about my age. I think mean, she was born in you know, the late 70s, too. Um, so if they're already doing that in the late 70s, 
you know, we can see a clear progression of a type of dem demographic isolation throughout the world. And something tells me that isn't just because certain people like the coast and some people like the plains. You know what I mean? Um, there, so. there is there is a matchup going on because, uh, geez, uh, a couple years ago, um, I uh, met up with this person that is part of a well-known group of well-known things that happened. And I always felt like it was a fluke that I would ever even be interested in him or with with a person like that. Uh, but I always felt like it was a setup, you know, like an alien setup. So uh, it served as its purpose, I guess, for some uh, last two days. I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. But it was just so ironic. You know, and the irony is getting way out of hand because things that happened since then that uh, are truly bizarre. I mm -hmm. I live, uh, okay, so all the people that I'm talking about, some were from Snowflake, Arizona, some were from back east and all that. And then uh, just a couple months, well, just a few months ago, uh, my friends, the same friends I'm talking to you about, called me and said, do you, got, do you know... Uh, this this guy, uh, this guy at one moment, yeah, I know Ron James. And I said, I think we're, uh, yeah, I looked it up, I yeah, we're going to Facebook friends this last June, and blah, blah, blah. Well, he just rented studio space for my best friend's nephew. And he's working on the, the Travis Walton thing, and that's why my best friend knows about Travis Walton, is because she goes with me to all the conferences. You know what I mean? So who thought it was weird was her husband, because he knows the background of a lot of these weird things that have been going on. So I guess uh, Ron James had been working on uh, part of the production for Travis, and then uh, the document carried this out about uh, Travis Baldwin. But anyway, isn't that a, a very odd coincidence? And it's all the way here locally, within blocks, within blocks of where I am. And also um, that uh, the coincidence has gotten uh, so strange that uh, my friend works for for uh, Northrop and she's trained by NASCAR. And they were just telling me, she just called me and said, you're not going to believe what we're working on now. I went, what? She said, we're now working on satellites. They're looking for uh, life on other planets. I said, well, you just have to look in my living room. You know that. And we were laughing, we were laughing about it. But now, she told me the day before yesterday, guess what my nephew and Ron James are doing? What are they doing now? It's just they're going to pick up the spaceship as part of a prop for another uh, thing they're doing. Now, I just thought, the whole thing is strange, okay, Jerry? Mm -hmm. Small world. But I think that's weird. I think, yeah, I think it's 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 that fun kind of weird that we all like to kind yeah, of it is. keep, keep uh, you know, life interesting. So. <laughs> Well, it's fun, but it's it's bizarre if you think of how hard the government has been trying to cover this up, and now all of a sudden they're saying they're looking for it. And then to have uh, Ron James just rent studio space, you know, within blocks of where I live, and uh, I didn't have him on for an interview. He didn't realize she was my best friend until I told mm -hmm. him during when we were on air. I said, "You realize that's my best friend of even friends since we were like 19." You know, and uh, he's over there, and he knows, of course, he knows all the other, 
you know, all everybody else. Anyway, I just think that that's how we're all coming together by some weird and miraculous way. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just, you know, happy that we were able to talk tonight because you're yet another person that I feel is the real deal, and you're doing some solid work um, on as your engineer bringing part of you is doing. Uh, it's very necessary to have these new nanotechnologies and other things that you're working on uh, produced. I mean, we need this. Uh, uh, I think someday we're not going to have a cure for cancer and uh, other things. And I don't know if that's quite what you're looking for in the future. But what, what do you what do you think holds true for the work uh, things you're working on? What do you expect? What's your expectations out of it? I think that um, you know the evolution of understanding of these new technologies as being present and available is the first step, and then from there, it's just going to exponentially expand. Because I mean, this is one of the things, as I'm sure yourself and your audience is aware, how there is different modalities of healing that have had success with things like AIDS and cancer. Um, you know, there's there is a lot of profound cases out there. And if you look at these technologies that are introduced to the masses, I mean, firsthand from what we're doing you know, with, with our nanotechnology and our frequency treatments, I mean, we've seen it to where it doesn't take, you know, the quote-unquote man and the shadow government to shut us down. It's just hard work to do a business. And so in that yeah. sense, the one that's going to help change things is, you know, people go ahead and taking that risk, man. It's like do that $50, $100 to try that thing. I mean, because we've all spent more than that on dinner one night before, you know. Exactly. So, <laughs> just do more of that, and more of the cool things will happen. I mean, that's not, not just with us, but I mean, there's a lot of products that I mean, I know I've experienced, and they're, they're just really cool. And I think I want more people to hear about them, and and um, you know, different water treatments, uh, you know, uh, stuff, and then like how with, with what we're doing, you know, one of our products that we're really pushing right now is automobiles in relation to the environment because one of our, our parent technologies is made for cars. Uh, it's super it, All you got to do is just put it in the vehicle. It doesn't have to require any you know extensive installation. And you'll see uh, your pollution go down by at least a good 30 to 40% is what we're seeing on average. But we've seen it go all the way down to like 85, 90%. And then when those out there with the engineering background will know that if you're getting better pollution rates and it's not just magically poofing in the air, which we don't claim it is, we know it's happening to some degree, that that translates to better an efficient vehicle. And so that means that you end up saving maybe like 5% on your gas, you know, consumption overall. And, um, and this is minimal effort, you know, that you can do just by integrating some of these new um, technologies into what's going on. And it's, and it's not so much about, replacing or kind of rendering anyone inadequate any faster than they should be. Because I think at one point, yeah, we're probably going to start stop burning dead things for fuel like we do with oil and gas yeah. and such. But at, but in the meantime, you know, we have to have a transition period no matter how one looks at it because it's like if we just stop oil industry, it's like there's going to be some serious chaos that no one wants to deal with. So um, and at the same time, why we want to stop it because we know in, in the long run, you know, people like motorcycles that will run on two-stroke engines even when we have the electric running vehicles. It's just, you know, we, we have, you know, gas-powered RC vehicles still. So it's not 
there will still be an industry. So it's a matter of just evolution and allowing ourselves as consumers to take a chance and believe in some of the stuff that is new um, because it, it, some of it works. And even if it, and it'll get better in each respective project as more, more customers come in and give feedback. And that's one of the things that, you know, has made us a lot better is just, you know, getting feedback, doing limited releases as much as we can just to get it out and start helping the environment. And then also uh, getting the feedback of how we can do it a little better. So, and I think it's all very much right here on that precipice for a lot of our projects too. There's some really, really profound things. I mean, like, for instance, one of the, the companies that we're watching and, to, and really with a lot of anticipation because they'll help us is they're making a new meter system, which is basically a handheld uh, type of uh, inferometer. So it's kind of like that Star Trek uh, tricorder that we were talking about earlier where you can scan and know how ripe it is and such like that. And for us, we can translate that into other algorithms that say we want this this fruit to be ripe. So we now we know what the frequency modulations on the infrared spectrum is for that. Now we can blast that back out at the orange tree, and now we'll see if it grows better, you know, things like that. Um, so there's a there's a lot of really exciting stuff, and, and, and in that sense, it should be very encouraging for everyone listening because you already apply a lot of these, these concepts, like we had mentioned with sound or lighting. I mean, that's why we light our rooms in a certain way and we listen to certain music. So this these frequency applications are all just really starting to take off in, in everyone's cautious minds. Yeah, because some of these frequencies that you're saying are, are beneficial, let's say, to a plant or whatever it is you're aiming it at, I guess, and helping it grow better or stronger, or is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and or also or repel pests. You know, I mean, that's like one of our projects we've got on our, on our back burner right now is, is working with um, just, you know, telling the, the bugs, like, don't eat this plant, please. That'd be great, <laughs> you know, because as we know yeah. that, but, Whatever we do, it's like either harder for the organic farmer, or we have pesticides that that um, you know get on our food, which is another thing that we would like to do too. Is if we can render some of the um, toxins out of the car, and we would like to do the same thing with some of the chemical additives, or even in, in medications. Because so some of the stuff that I'm talking about here, we have case studies on. We're not we don't charge people for. Um, we just take on case studies as we're able to, in terms of even just uh, personal counseling on certain things with um, our technology. So we have had, we've worked with other, um, say, for instance, cancer patients, and um, and we work with their current modality of treatment. So that, that means everything from holistic care to chemotherapy. And what we found is when you integrate the frequency treatment, it, it helps in all ways. So if someone's in homeopathy, you might see an increased rate of their, of, of their, of their tumor shrinkage. And then... Now, you might see the same thing with the chemo, but the, the fun thing with the chemo is that the person themselves may not drop as much weight, you know, or they keep their appetite. Um, so it actually mitigates the side effects of the chemo. So it's, it's very inclusive. That's, that's one of the things that we personally here love about our technology is that it is inclusive. The more, you know, the, the intention is fortified, the more effective it is because that translates to the amplitude of, of the algorithm that we are transmitting. So we're bumping up the volume, you know, turning up the gain on our stuff. And so so it's really encouraging seeing seeing these kind of things and knowing that we're not the only ones and that we can really help and not step on toes in that sense of, like, say, even, like, big pharma. And we can help mitigate the side effects 
from those those pills. And if you mitigated the side effects from some of those pills, they're probably pretty effective. So, yeah. um, so coming from a point of age, you know, then kind of replacement or we're better than or yeah, I mean, it's very inclusive. So. Yeah, because those pills, even though people don't like to take them, are actually extending life. You know, mm-hmm. where uh, just think of the AIDS cocktail uh, medication right now, where in the 80s you just died. You know, now yeah. the people are being able to thrive and have zero uh, viral load numbers. It's just, it's just fantastic. And, uh, you know, I can see a purpose for all of this, but... I'm wondering how you're getting your funding uh, to uh, do all this. Like, are you guys having to work and then, you know, put every dime into this, or how are you, how are you getting ahead on here? Well, we pretty much we we you know proverbially sort of like bet the farm on it in a sense, um, in that we stay alive from whatever sales that we got coming in, of course, and then we have um, well we had <laughs> an investor, but that had a certain amount of funds. Um, who also was was helping us along, and right now we're actually in the in the beginning process of doing some profit sharing um, programs for those who want to jump in on it right now. Um, but we're all we also pretty much we stay alive as you know most businesses do through sales and different consultation contracts. Um, you know, just right now it's you know it's not no one's living high on the hog. Let me tell you, um, but it's because we're just we just started. I mean, this this company is. Uh, Two years old, you know what I mean. So we're and we're having issues that like a five-year company should have in terms of keeping up with some of our demand, and um, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's a good problem to have, and so this is it's really encouraging because we have you know a lot of even government bodies from let's say like uh, Trinidad, Costa Rica, things like that who are interested in our technology, who are ecologically minded. Um, you know, we might even be working with with our border patrol here at some point. Um, Things like that, to the, where you can see that, you know, the, the by and large, the planet is becoming more ecologically minded for whatever reason, and, and but either way, it translates for you know better for all of us in that sense. So, you know, we we try to keep everything you know pretty much upfront in terms of what we're doing, how we're doing it, who's funding us, and what. It's, it's all grassroots here. Um, you know, we have yeah. no. Millionaire backers or anything at this point in time, but we do have we do have very qualified people helping us. I mean, one of our latest additions to our team actually is uh, one of the co-inventors of the Maglite, actually a man named Donald Keller, and um, he's actually one of our, our consultants here. So we have a lot of, a lot of people have a lot of faith in our product. We've had great third-party testing from all over, certified labs of all kinds, um, showing that we're doing something that's, that's not just you know soft science. We're doing some very real stuff here. And so the confidence is high. And so that that, that keeps us you know, afloat in the sense of our team here who's investing their personal savings or their personal whatever and all of it just translates for the company, I guess, in, in the long run. So um, so that's kind of what it is. It's all it's just pure grassroots, you know, because we believe it, you know, doing what we can as a, you know, business. Well, it sounds really positive and that, um, you're having fun at the same time, and uh, that that hard work uh, is like uh, uh, instead of the term that everybody's using, "following the bliss." It's like following your bliss, or it's going to be hard work. You just got to realize that you just don't have to give up and keep trying. And it's that um, I've tried to because uh, I work with uh, federal inmates, 
and we're com- they're coming back uh, on their council, so they're coming back into the community. You know, I have to tell them about technology because some have been away for 15, 27 years, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I say is you just can't read it out of a book. You actually have to practice doing it. You know, the learning curve is different than it used to be. You had to read the directions and kind of follow it. Now you have to jump in, you have to do it and start practicing whatever it is, and you build on that every day. So when you turn on the next time, you're going to know a little more how to do it, a little more, a little more, you know, you just got to keep uh, working at it. And then pretty soon you know how to do it, you know. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's just fantastic. Um, we have about uh, 10 minutes left. Do you have anything that you really want to uh, discuss um, or tell us how, you know, people can contact you or, or anything like that or yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I ha- we have our uh, websites, um, which are thehollowtree.com, T-H-E-H-L-L-O-Tree.com, so it's like hologram. Um, then our other other uh, website, that, that one's for our health products, so you'll see a lot of uh, different types of jewelry um, and things like that. Um, a lot of crystals that we actually hand mine to or mixed in there as well. Um, and then uh, at our other site for the fuel, that's uh, quantafuel.com. Like quanta girl of quantum, quantafield.com, and you can get a get a hold of um, myself or my team through that way, or you can find me on Facebook. Um, anyway, like that, I'm happy to answer any questions, and yeah, especially with um, in relation to any of our technology. I know there's it's pretty amazing stuff that we're able to achieve here, and, and in that sense, it all comes from that belief that we can make a change, and that's one of the things I guess we yeah, would like to just depart with everyone with is that. You know, the biggest hindrance is our own self in the sense that we don't think we can. You know, you know so believe that you can. And if you really want to do something, just to be honest with yourself that you really want to do it and do it. So it doesn't have to, doesn't, you shouldn't demotivate yourself with perceived discipline. You know, so just do what is fun, what you've always wanted to do. And that inspiration point will carry you into some amazing places. Um and so that's uh, that's what helped me, and, and in that sense, it's it's easier than a lot of us think because how I mentioned earlier, there's ways that we can apply these concepts, or we already do apply these concepts of say, um, you know, quantum uh, quantum healing with sound and light, but maybe we just don't think of it that that way because there's a some kind of intellectual separation between science and spirit somewhere that we didn't realize. But the more you realize that we are practically applying it the more that energy actually flows to where you want it to go and you start manifesting what you really, truly want. And, um, and that is, and that, that's it's becoming hard science. That's what's so fun about it. It's becoming a method that can be observable yeah. and possible, you know. All these, so, all these theories for, since I was a kid, because I, I my, my uh, grandmother, my father's mother was a spiritualist, and she had a lot of theories about health and all that sort of stuff, and but then uh, my mother used to go to uh, oh, who's that? Uh, the sick, oh, he's called the Sleeping Prophet. Uh, what was his name? He he did medical cures in his sleep. I can't remember his name right now. But uh, she went to those groups. I remember I was a teenager, and she was taking me to these groups about mind over matter and how you know, uh, and they followed these. Uh, 
spiritual teachings and diets for cures, and they're mostly medical cures. I just can't remember the guy's name right now, perfect stuff. So, you know, from all that to now, this is all panning out, which is so strange. So, yes, these combinations of foods have uh, this healing quality. Yes, uh, you think positive, and you can overcome. Because I'm telling you that uh, we can we we are overcoming things from before people would just fall out and die. They really couldn't take it. You know, mm-hmm. you're the you're getting getting to a point where if you have a will and just keep trying, uh, you can overcome it. And I love what you said about not sabotaging yourself. You know, don't, don't, uh, you know how you uh, do the positive self-talk and everything else. And you were saying, don't give yourself the negative talk and talk yourself out of it either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you can talk it into existence, you know, and it could be positive. And you can't overcome. And I, I really believe that, you know. And you're a fine yeah. example of this, too, because I can tell that you've uh, applied lifelong interest into what you're doing now. You know, that's what could be more fun, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your compliments. And, and I'm glad we, we, you know, we obviously had a very good report here. It was the first time we've ever spoke, which is great. Um, yeah. And, and I think that, uh, that yeah, and it's and it wasn't easy, you know, because like I speak from a place of experience of having to go through that releasing of, of old friends and associates, you know, having conflict with my family, you know, to the point of now understanding where I have one of the best relationships I've ever had in my life with my family because I was honest with myself, which allowed me to be honest with them and through the conflict, you understand that you still care somewhere, and in probably more ways than you realize. And then you find out the the people around you probably feel the same way too, and so it it really is a quest, and it's a fun quest when you realize yes, you're just doing what you really want to do, and you can. So. Yeah. Yes, and and then finding out um, what your purpose is because um, the people I work with many don't know what their purpose is, and uh, you know how can they achieve that and things like that. And I think one of the special gifts for mankind is to find out your, what your purpose is. And uh, I think we've all, we're all born for a specific reason, and that finding our purpose is one of that lifelong uh, search that we find out what our purpose is, and then we, then we go do it. Because there's only mm-hmm. one, of, one of you that is that exactly like you, and that's why we're each individual so special and needed. It's not like we're a bunch of ants. I'm not mm-hmm. talking down to ants or ant people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, our uniqueness is what we bring to the table, and our differences is what makes it, this whole thing work, really. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, I totally agree. But, uh, okay. Because we're living in a world of, of conflict right now, extreme, extremely so, you know, and... Then I don't think that they see us as different, or uh, that they have to uh, whatever our differences is. They have to make sure it's the same, or you're going to be dead, or whatever. And that is just that's so barbaric and short-sighted, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why it's so important just to cultivate and develop ourselves. You know, each person has to develop themselves and their abilities. You know, just just concentrate. What can I do now? Okay, I'm developing myself. 
and when you start developing yourself, you can move out of survival mode until thriving mode, mode, and then you can help others. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that does help you too. You know, that's what I believe in. That's my own philosophy. If you're yeah. drowning, of course, you're going to save yourself. You know what I mean? But as soon as you get on dry land, you're going to start helping somebody else throw the rope out again. And this is what, it is important for us to view ourselves with, from a I can or accomplished point of view, or even even recognizing more of what we have than what we don't. Like things like that are very important because we, yeah. even when you don't have much much money or whatever, there's things around you. A lot of times, what people want with money is the thing they can buy them. So it's like you don't necessarily want the money; you want the thing. And maybe you can make the thing. Maybe you can trade for the thing. You know, maybe the thing is actually just right there and you just didn't accept it before. You know, there's this little, you know, attitude shifts in a lot of ways. It seems to be like one of the best um, remedies for a lot of the, co- the seeming conflict that come, arises in society when we're really, really kind of conferring on our commonality in a sense that we all want shelter. We all want food. There's certain comforts that we like. But we kind of argue about it for some reason. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but we kind well, of well, some people. Well, some people were saying, you know, have a hard time sharing, and and uh, that we want to distribute some of this money. But I don't know. I'm kind of like, I I don't understand it all yet. You know, I'm not I'm not there yet. So, uh, to me, uh, can't make anybody do anything. They've got to come to. Uh, Understanding of themselves and, the, and a world and a love of others before they're going to share. You can't make them. You know, you can't. You can't. You can threaten them and shame them and do everything you want, but uh, you just got to worry about what they're doing on your side. So keep your side of the street clean, in other words. You know, mm-hmm. instead of worrying about what everybody else is doing. And I think the closer I get to that, the more freedom I have. You know, personal, just personal freedom, just to be. It's not that I want to go do a bunch of stuff, but I just want to be free to do whatever I want to do. I think you're finding that spot. I think it's very exciting that you're finding a spot where you can work and uh, develop and help others at the same time. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I want to congratulate you. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on, too. It was a great surprise. (laughs) They're not going to be able to stop you. It's too late for that. They can't reel it all back in again. Now that you're at the quantum level. But anyway, I want to just thank you so much for being on the show and filling in the last minute. Uh, you've been an awesome guest. And I invite you back any any time that uh, you have uh, yeah, great. Thank you. something to share. Really, just let me know and uh, come back on because we're Facebook friends now. So I want to thank you so much and uh, happy trails to you and take care of yourself and come back again. Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, you're welcome. Take care. Okay, bye bye. Well, I want to thank everybody for being on being on the show tonight. It's it's been an amazing night, really. Um, uh, this uh, this young man is uh, kind of incredible, uh, and he has a worked with a wonderful group of people, and they're uh, you know working hard to make a future for all of us, and uh, just just whatever they're doing, whether it's clean water or healing energies or anything else like that, you know, so I'm very interested in some of them. That's all the links to contact me, and if you 
send me a message if you'd like to be part of the show or for general health and assistance. If you'd like to write me a snail mail, you can always write Char McCain, P.O. Box 980, California, 90254. I want to thank all the guests in the chat as they are really faithful listeners and they ask very really good questions. And this show is archived. You can listen to it again. You're going to tell your friends that next week we have Ed and Marsha Decker, amazing couple, and you're going to love talking with them and meeting with them. And uh, please come back next week, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless everybody. May your best dreams come true, and true love lives in your heart. And may that this place of uh, paranormal papers or the unheard may be yours. God bless you all. Take care. Good night. <laughs>